Hi, welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives, where today we're going to be talking about Phoenix, Arizona's Thanksgiving of Water. Stay tuned. Matt. All right. How you doing, Riley? It is Thanksgiving weekend. Um, you got any plans? I am good, first off. Uh got plans, yeah. So it's been a while since we've uh <laughs> podcasted. A mm-hmm. lot has happened. Um I have moved states. Oh. Um yeah, there was a job that I applied to. Um kind of a, a big boy job that one that you don't see every now and then. Um so I applied to it and I got it and then mm. um <laughs> it's a smaller area so it kind of re- not required nothing is required in the world but like you know like uh it was kind of talked to like renting isn't a big thing down here or like there's little oh. area so um my wife and i bought a house so mm. well, <laughs> i literally congrats. don't even remember when we've recorded but it's been <laughs> bananas <laughs> so um first house but we're, we're now moved in so okay. start of the new job. I work at a soil and water conservation district. Um, Ooh. So I'm, I'm, I guess, the administrator for it. And um, for those of you who don't know, if that's maybe a Minnesota thing, but it's, it's a group, the kind of a governmental organization that, that assists um, landowners, farmers, and other individuals looking for like conservation um, modifications to the land, um, you know, trying to monitor water within a certain region and kind of providing that technical financial assistance to um, individuals looking to, I guess, increase conservation practices um, in the area that I'm in charge of. So yeah, it's been nice. fun. Super okay. sad to leave the tribe, but um, yeah. yep. So that's, but anyways, back to your question. That was my little life update. <laughs> um, I am going home and I am making brisket. Oh. on the Traeger. I've never made it before. It's going to be an ordeal, but oh, um, why not? Fantastic. Risk oh, it I am... for the brisket. That's what we're I going love to <laughs> I'm very jealous. I haven't had brisket, like homemade brisket in a long time. Oh, never have I ever met, so yeah. Oh. All right, well, best of luck to you. Oh, gosh. I know. You're going to do great. Fun. As long as you do a lot of Googling, I'm sure you're going to do fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't even like really thought of it because I've been first week on the job and i'm it's kind of like drinking out of a a fire hose or whatever they call it so <laughs> with all the information so i really okay. kind of forgot that it was um thanksgiving this weekend isn't that crazy week i guess yeah time goes time goes really quick rachel mm-hmm. um actually right when we're done recording rachel and i are gonna go and drive over to athens georgia so that she can take her big vet exam the navli which is you know like the big thing that certifies you to be a veterinarian so oh really oh yeah 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 yeah. so she takes that tomorrow and tuesday um so if she passes will she be a certified vet then yes that's a great that's a good question so she still has to wait until she graduates but like yeah i guess on paper yeah she'll be she'll be ready to go wow that's exciting i guess that's like you know um where we take our exams before we yep. graduate type of situation. Yep. Yeah. Like your qualifying uh, exams. Yeah. So she just stressed out beyond belief. Oh yeah. Well, she's been studying for 
like a year at this point oh my and gosh. she has uh, like a program on her phone it's like a study guide and it keeps track of how many questions it's asked her and i think mm-hmm. she's studied almost eight thousand questions or something stupid like that oh my so gosh i okay. think she's ready all right <laughs> i think she's ready to go um, so what are your what are your thanksgiving plans is that it or so else? thanksgiving so monday tuesday will be in athens wednesday so tuesday night we're going to drive back to auburn pick up the rabbit and then drive back to cartersville to have thanksgiving with my mom and grandma over there yeah because your your family lives over there right northern yeah my mom georgia yeah my mom and grandma moved down a couple years ago and then my aunt and uncle so my mom's brother have always been down here so yeah i got some family in the area wow that's exciting Yeah. yeah and then in broader news um I really wish so we, we we usually have some sort of video component to the podcast so Riley can me and Riley are face to face but I guess his new house is terrible reception right now. I don't know um, what's but going I'm on. I'm wearing this obnoxious red, white, and blue jersey right now, and it is in support of the U.S. national soccer team, which starts the World Cup tomorrow. Um, so I'll be watching that oh, as well. Okay, yeah, this is a big they, week, man. Yeah, we got World they, Cup starting tomorrow. Are they uh, going to do well, or are they just in it? You know what I'm saying? Like, is there a chance that they're going to win it? so the american in me says there's always a chance they're going to win it riley yeah um, but the soccer chance. fan and the soccer fan in me says there is not there's like a, a snowball's chance that they're going to win it um so probably not but so okay. we're in a group so for those of you who don't know how the world cup works 32 teams qual or 24 teams i should probably know this anyway a certain number of teams qualify they're split up into groups of four each team in those groups play each other once and then the team with the most wins the two the top two teams in the group advance so the u.s's group is the u.s england wales and iran so it's seen as a winnable group um if u.s aren't first they should be second so they should be able to get out of the group i think that's like the bare minimum expectations right now so whoa okay yeah wow i mean for the for any listener that doesn't listen doesn't watch soccer the u.s like u.s and soccer has been growing a lot i played soccer my entire life growing up so i've seen it i've seen it grow and uh yeah our our national team has been doing incrementally better if you ignore the fact that we did not qualify for the 2018 world cup but we we are we're just we won't talk about that so yeah okay well cool (laughs) very fun yeah and then in other news um I think it's nice to have, you know, we, we, we've been doing our little, like, what's what's in the news kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I saw this story that freshwater jellyfish were found in Michigan in earlier this month. And I was very excited because I was like, oh, I can do this whole story, this whole deep dive. And then I read it more up on it. And it's not that big a deal. There's always been freshwater jellyfish in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, they found yeah. a couple in Minnesota, too. Um, <laughs> actually, I did an article on this. Oh, okay. Fish water yeah, I was... and travel. <laughs> but you could do another one. Oh, ah, look at that. Tying it all together. Yeah. 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 No, I'll, you, I'm sure, I'm sure you did a great job. I didn't, I didn't get a chance. They're invasive. Did you know that? That I did not know. Oh, they're invasive, okay. but it's kind of like a, eh, they don't really do anything situation. Uh, so they're, um, they're more exotic than invasive. Yeah. But well, I mean, like, so I mean, like, you can have like non native, right? And then like mm-hmm. invasive. But I think this. Yeah, so maybe I guess non-native is the term because I'm yeah. not sure if they do cause environmental harm. Yeah, um, they're kind of just exist and then they come about every now and then. Okay, I would love yeah. to find one though. Yeah, 
Sounds yeah. yeah, I was like flabbergasted and then read them more up on there. Like, yeah, they've always, they've been here for a while. And I was like, oh shoot, dang it. Oh shoot. Huh. All right, man. Well, let's yeah. get into it. Let's do it. So yeah. So what I did oh. find, so like I said, it is Thanksgiving week. Mm-hmm. Um, so we already talked about our plans for Thanksgiving. And I thought that in the spirit of the holiday, I would share this quick and kind of quirky story about Phoenix, Arizona's Day of Thanksgiving for Water. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know like um, what to expect for this. Day yeah. of Thanksgiving for Water. I just yeah. feel like see people around like a statue, like a fountain, like <laughs> like dancing. Mm-hmm. Those Venetians. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. It well, sounds, I'm excited. It sounds a little outlandish, but I promise you by the end of this this quick little story here it'll be totally justified so for context i'm going to start giving a abbreviated history of phoenix arizona so again that'll help kind of hopefully listeners will understand why a thanksgiving for water wasn't so absurd so the area was inhabited by the hohokam people for over 2,000 years likely due to its location at the confluence of the gila and the salt rivers the native Hohokam dug nearly 130 miles of irrigation canals to make the desert landscape suitable for farming. However, despite impressive engineering, severe drought would end up driving the Hohokam to leave the region around 1350 Common Era. So, okay, Arizona's dry climate um, ended up kind of ruling the day, and I think that's a that's a little hint. That's something that'll come up again later. So, um, after the Hohokam's exodus. That allowed several different tribes to move into the area, with the Akamel O'odham being the most populous. These people were successful farmers, cultivating beans, wheat, and squash for food, along with cotton and tobacco as tradable goods. But they were eventually driven out by frontiersmen in the late 1800s as the Arizona Territory was being established. So again, super brief, abbreviated history of the, that kind of region, and then we can kind of start to move into actual Phoenix. So the city of Phoenix was officially incorporated in 1881 and was named the capital of the Arizona Territory in 1889. The city of Phoenix's early economy was built on the five C's, as they call it, which was cotton, cattle, citrus, copper, and climate. Why climate's listed there? I'm not 100% sure, but I just, that's every every resource i found mentioned climate in their five seasons. cotton but, was one of the big ones yeah that was like the big one so we'll yeah i'll kind of i'll get to that in a second because isn't that super water intensive like jump in the ship hopefully not. no um, okay i thought know, cotton was like the ship. very like water intensive and it's a desert <laughs> yeah it is it's a desert you're right um uh, what's up with the u.s you know <laughs> There's so many people live in desert. <laughs> well, I think it's, I don't think it's a very cold tolerant plant. Hence why it's usually found in like the Southern, like the Southeast of the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it needs to be in that warmer climate. As far as how much water it requires, I have no idea. So... I remember side tangent. I remember mm-hmm. like my first year in Alabama um, driving South. I don't mm-hmm. know to what, maybe to the beach or something, but like, I guess there was like a little cotton row of stuff like on Auburn's um, campus, mm-hmm. the old rotation or what they called it. But yep. like, um, I remember going up like past like a cotton, I don't know what they call it anymore, plant, plantation farm, um, the old, you know, yeah, like uh-huh. an actual like 
like operating cotton facility i'm like whoa it was just so crazy to see <laughs> like i was like oh my gosh like this is where my shirt comes from like type yeah. situation but uh, yeah yeah, yeah. It, is, it is interesting yeah yeah for mm -hmm. sure um uh, but yeah it's yeah it is interesting to kind of see it down here and it is actually really pretty when it's like ready to harvest and it's dried out and you just see this kind of like snowy cotton ball field yeah mm -hmm. it's really pretty only snow yeah that's right the closest thing we get to the snow yeah um yeah so we talked about arizona's climate already which perfectly leads me into this so again i don't think we're we're shocking anybody by saying arizona is very dry um but just to kind of put it <laughs> but just to put it in perspective here the average daytime temperature fluctuates from the 60s in the winter to over 100 in the dead of summer <laughs> on top of that arizona is the third driest state in the u.s uh, right behind new mexico and nevada receives an average of 14 and a half inches of rainfall annually with the national average being about 30 inches. Um, again, not a, not very surprising, uh, but I just kind of wanted to put those numbers in, in everyone's head so they understand that this is not a very wet state. They so need crazy. Sort of water retention system here. That's um, crazy. It, like, isn't their population like just absolutely booming right now? Um, oh now absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely. right like um yeah. and if if i'm not mistaken in the north east corner of arizona right in that four corners area that's where most of the country's like lettuce comes from which again requires a oh. decent amount of water thanks for letting us know man yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just it's it's important to understand where your food comes from man you don't um, get it letting us Oh, geez. No. Yeah, that went right over my head. Wow. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, right? no. Oh, no. Uh, uh, I think, yep. like, because I've been reading, like, the the almost, like, great migration, like, that's mm -hmm. happening in the U.S. right now from mm -hmm. the Midwest, Eastern states down to, like, the Sunbelt region. And I know mm -hmm. Phoenix. And, um, oh, what other big cities are there in um, Arizona? Maybe Flagstaff? Or... Yeah, Flagstaff, Albuquerque's in New Mexico. I know Albuquerque's um, in New Mexico. I yeah. went drove through that once. Yeah, it's it, it's so bananas over there. Just yeah. such stark contrast to a lot of the rest of the U.S. But um, yeah, oh, it's yeah. interesting. Like that major population growth and like immediately, I'm like, what what's like what's the water situation gonna happen? But perhaps yeah. you you may uh, digress in this <laughs> yep. uh, or may tell us in this uh, <laughs> podcast. You're a hundred percent right. I will. Again, nice. this isn't the longest story, but I, I think it's very interesting and it's very kind of topical given the time of year we're, we're in right now. Uh, but so again, so like I said, Arizona is super dry. They need some sort of water retention system, right, to make mm -hmm. sure Phoenix can actually grow. And it wouldn't take long for Phoenix to get that reliable source of water thanks to the creation of the Bureau of Reclamation after the passing of the Newlands Reclamation Act of 1902, which mm -hmm. we briefly mentioned um, in our podcast about the origins of the California water wars. So make sure to go back and check that out so you can see the kind of through lines there. And I didn't really talk about the Reclamation Act in that podcast, so I'll go ahead and give it an extended sort of lead in here. But the Reclamation Act of 1902 funded irrigation projects to transform arid areas in the American West into profitable farms or pasture lands for Western settlers. So you had the U.S. government was encouraging people, you know, manifest destiny. We just need to move out west, conquer from sea, from sea to shining sea, 
and then people got out there and there was it was just arid landscape so the u.s <laughs> government <laughs> was like well we need something for these people to do so they're gonna farm the desert um, now the act itself was actually designed to be self-sustaining which is really interesting when i was really j- jumping down this rabbit hole so it's supposed to be self-sustaining with federal funds being used to kind of start the projects. Um, so the federal government and surveyors would identify suitable projects in designated areas with the restored lands then being sold. And those funds from those sales would then be used to support future projects. So okay. pretty interesting. So you're not yep. continually draining taxpayer dollars. You're probably using a ton of taxpayer dollars in the beginning, but the idea is that it just kind of keeps going and going and going Mm -hmm. um, in the future, which was interesting, I thought. But one such suitable site for the reclamation was identified in the Phoenix area, with a reservoir being determined to be beneficial for the growth of the Phoenix area, as well as provide irrigation for farm and pasture land. Now, the Roosevelt Dam, which was originally called Salt River Dam Number 1, and then was later renamed after president theodore <laughs> roosevelt in 1959 yeah oh, not, not as catchy of a name but like think about people going out west and then like you know like the 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 tourism quote unquote of an area right mm-hmm. trying to get people it's like come to salt river it's like that should just write <laughs> red flag you right there like salt <laughs> river like i need not salt in my yeah. river. <laughs> especially in a dry area right yeah interesting <laughs> Yeah, so I love Brian. Um, yeah, this is the yeah. So we're talking about the Salt River Valley, which is why it's called the the Salt River Dam Number One. So there were a bunch of there were several other dams that were constructed as part of this project, but the Roosevelt Dam was identified as kind of like the main one, mm-hmm. and it was the first major project to actually be completed under this new reclamation program. And construction began in 1906, and actually President Theodore Roosevelt himself opened the dam on March 18, 1911. Again, the dam was not named after him yet. It wasn't named after him until 1959. Hmm. Um, Today, the dam stands 357 feet tall, 1,200 feet wide, with a complete masonry construction, making it the largest masonry dam in the world at its completion. Wow. It also had an arching construction similar to that of the Hoover Dam, which we talked about dams and their constructions in our Dam Dilemmas podcast. So feel free to go back and look at that one too. Doing a lot of advertising in this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when completely filled, the reservoir had a surface area of about 21,000 and a half acres. So t- sorry, 21,500 acres and a capacity of 1.6 million acre feet. This is a huge reservoir. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very big. What's now, that acre foot, Matt? Oh, gee. I do, so it's an acre of land. So imagine an acre of land that's a foot deep. So it's a it's yep. a very weird way to think of volume in my head. Um, and there is like a quick conversion to convert like feet, like volume and feet and cubic feet into acre feet. But I don't know. I'll stop my head. Yep. Um, yep. It's a but, yeah. unit of volume for people yeah. who don't know. And um, yeah. yeah, so it's it's like trying to find the volume of super large areas, acre, mm-hmm. foot. So like a foot deep around an acre, like a big old square, I guess. Yeah. So um, if you yeah, took, fun. so sorry. So if you took that 21,500 acres of surface area and then all of that volume 
and then spread it out to be a foot deep, it would spread 1.6 million acres. That's oh the gosh. best way to describe this. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. So this is a huge and very deep reservoir. Now, the Roosevelt Dam seemed to solve Phoenix's problems, and it actually overflowed four times between its completion in 1911 and 1920. So it was like kind of a point, like they built the dam, and they were like, oh, we actually don't need it. We have a ton of water right now. Hmm. But right after 1920, that's where Arizona's climate decided it was not going to be beat. And then a drought hit the region starting in 1920 and plagued the region with below average rainfall for two decades. Two decades. Oh, my Lord. Two decades. 20 years of below average rainfall. No, no. This drought completely crippled Phoenix's economy and the state of Arizona, for that matter, which was already hurting from the lack of cotton demand after the conclusion of World War I. Phoenix, Arizona, believe it or not, was a huge hub for cotton, as we already talked about, because, you know, during World War I, they needed all sorts of stuff using cotton from gauze, bandages, uniforms, all kinds of stuff. And there was a lot of that coming out of Phoenix with the war demand. But once that stopped, you know, the the demand was gone. So the supply was already huge and, you know, simple economics there. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. So this combination of unfortunate factors then led to record unemployment, decreased income, and complete stagnation of Arizona's economy. Now, this was, this could probably be said across the entire country right after World War II and kind of leading into the Great Depression. Um, But this hit you know, you kind of couple this with a biblical drought practically, and you can kind of start to see how insult gets added to injury here. Man. Yeah. So, yeah. Now the federal government civilian conservation Corps, or CCC, if you're unfamiliar, helped employ young men during the great depression by completely, by completing public works project that would benefit the general public. The Salt River Valley's uh, Civilian Conservation Corps projects included updating the existing irrigation structure, which was mostly consisted of wooden canals and floodgates. So they were doing a lot of updating of those. Um, And they practically went unattended after the reefs and previously mentioned economic decline after World War I. Now, finally, after 20 years, again, 20 years of limited rainfall, the skies opened up in 1940 water restrictions were lifted in October of 1940 and steady rainfall continued into March of 1941. The heavy precipitation called those the Roosevelt Dam to spill over for the first time in over 20 years. All right. Yeah. Now to celebrate their historical drought ending, Arizona governor Sidney Osborne declared a quote day of Thanksgiving for water Oh my on gosh. April 26, 1941. <laughs> yeah, so now we get into it, right? Yay! So this, was a, this was a full-fledged celebration. Citizens were encouraged to dress up in Western wear or Mexican fiesta costumes. Organizers rose to the occasion by assembling a 500-person band made up of college and high school students, which was actually the largest band to ever play in Arizona at the time. Hmm. And this all set up, so... Nearly 50,000 Arizonans met in Phoenix to attend the festivities, which included speeches, music and dancing, all sorts of food and drink, just everything you can think of. Now, (laughs) keep in mind, keep in mind that Phoenix's population at the time 
was 65,000 and you had <laughs> 50,000 people darn near from, everyone <laughs> from outside of phoenix oh my god flooding into downtown That's central so avenue in downtown phoenix was made into an oversized restaurant serving over 500 patients uh patrons using a cobbled together bunch of extra tables pine boards and hay bales to add to the celebration, a miniature version of the Roosevelt Dam was built, complete with water features flowing over the model stories and into the imitation cropland. Yep. Oh yeah. I feel like I'm picturing in my mind like a Bavarian like beer hall with like Honestly, those liter liter water things. People instead of beer, just water. Pictures, <laughs> seeing the pictures, that's that's like exactly what it was, man. They were. So I mean, funny. can you blame them? Can no. you blame them? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Celebrations also extended uh, far beyond Phoenix's downtown area as people flooded into the Arizona State Fairgrounds. The Arizona State Teachers College students dressed up as King Neptune and his court and a, quote, welcome water to Arizona show was put mm -hmm. on complete with dancers and fireworks that welcome went to long water into to the night. <laughs> long into the night and well into the following morning. And to top things off, Riley, churches all around the state held special services to give thanks for the return of rainfall to their arid landscape. Oh, my Lord. Oh, yeah. Like I said, can you really blame them? No, I can't. Yep. I can't. I can't. Oh, yeah. But, that's interesting. Yeah. Like I said, this wasn't the longest story, but that's all I got. And like I said, Riley, I really hope you and our listeners understand just how bad things were in Arizona during this time. I mean, like, it's. I think it's nice to bring some levity to the situation, but this was 20 years of just straight up drought, right? Everything these citizens had to endure, it's completely justified their over the top celebrations. Um, but if I, I like to have a glass half full kind of approach to everything. So uh -huh. I will say <laughs> that 20 years of drought might have been a weirdly good thing, kind of maybe. So. Um, although much of Arizona and Phoenix was forced into unemployment between 1920 and 1940, historians do believe that all the much needed updating to the state's infrastructure meant that Arizona, and in fact much of the country, was immediately ready to ramp up manufacturing again once the U.S. entered World War II in 1941. <laughs> okay. Um... Also, keep that in mind, that you just got done with one World War, your entire state economy has collapsed the great depression you have a 20 year long drought drought finally ends and you're in involved in another world war yeah i thought you were gonna like say that it was a really good thing for like you know how like grapes you nope. know in arid climates they they nope. you know taste better for wine so i thought you're gonna relate that to like cotton Sorry, <laughs> they man. need it to make some like just pristine cotton Sorry, man <laughs> no it was just if they didn't complete all those infrastructure projects then they probably wouldn't have been able to meet all the war demand when the u.s entered world war ii and even actually before the u.s officially entered world war ii i'm sure everyone knows the u.s was still sending supplies to the allies over in europe and there was there's a pretty widely held belief that if the u.s um didn't kind of create the civil service uh the ccc civil service uh civilians conservation corps there you go. not civil yep. service sorry um, civilian conservation corps that they wouldn't have been able to meet all that demand so the ccc is super interesting and um mm -hmm. i have one 
for an upcoming podcast oh, about good. it and like the area that, that I like am, am in. So I won't talk about it too much, but it's just so mm-hmm. interesting that like, like that got people back to work. Like, yeah. So I just yeah. like the idea of a great depression. I mean, knock on wood. Cause yeah, stuff's Maybe, going yeah. potentially going crazy right now, but like, um, mm-hmm. just that idea of like, how do you get people back to work for like the greater good? And then it's like the CCC. Yep. And like just how how well that kind of like program um, mm-hmm. that FDR put into play, like it's just yeah. so so amazing. Like even today, like a lot of like dam and infrastructure is just, it's from the CCC. Oh, hundred um, percent. Yeah, yeah. In my hometown, Vineland, New Jersey, Parvin State Park in Southern New Jersey was completely a lot of that was built um, because of the CCC. There are signs all over the all over the park talking all about. Yeah. It. Yeah, right. where I am right now, the one article I wrote was with, like one that like Aldo Leopold was involved in. Oh, that's and cool. it was like because there's just so much agrarian landscape mm-hmm. in the super hilly region that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Anyways, no, that's great. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be talking about that. But anyways, yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah. like a maybe we need like a program like that to come back. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I, was I guess things about are that. Yeah, yeah, you know, with with unemployment kind of starting to rise again. But I, I know that's this isn't that type of podcast. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's where. Yeah, um, but <laughs> someone's listening. It's like you guys are just dumb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, no, we are not, we are not economists. We're not, we are not we're economists. Not, yeah. I like the big picture type of stuff, but uh, definitely, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So real quick, I'd like to say a huge thanks to Douglas Town, Gillespie Shields, U.S. Department of Interior, and the Arizona Republican for the resources that I heavily consulted while putting this together. And there you go. Yeah, the Pilgrims of Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, if you want to read more about this, everything's up on our kind of mothership website, which is fishwaterandtravel.com. We also have the same handle on all of your favorite social media platforms. And with that, Riley, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.